Welcome to How to Win the Lottery Season 5 Unadaptable Season Finale, Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. I'm Joey Lewandowski. Uh, back from the dead, Shreds baby. Shreds back? Shreds back. How was the afterlife? Well, rumors of my death were greatly exaggerated. I was held in a basement by Tulsa, Oklahoma, and a oh fellow named God. Gary. And wait, both? Wait, hold on. They know each other? Mm-hmm. And I, uh, you know... Not without its not without its benefits. I perfected my kickflip. Oh, um, so, so you had some like leeway. You weren't sure, just yeah, there. Yeah. You weren't like yeah. a prisoner. I mean, you were a prisoner, but you weren't like a prisoner. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like a Eileen situation. Shout out to a book no. earlier in this module. No, but it had come on a lot of things. Next week, we're going to be talking about our second state, which is very exciting. Stay tuned for that. But first. We didn't reveal. Oh, next week's the reveal. Next week's the reveal. And then the week after that. So we're two weeks in a row with an episode. Next week's the intro episode. And then the week after that, another uh, hint, hint, another book about uh, meetings. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Before we get there, we have to get through the book that took me longer to read than any book I've ever read and may ever read. I'm surprised that no. That that one book for the one state is going to take me longer. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> there are longer books than this that are. No. I don't know if they're as difficult. I don't know if that one is as difficult either, because um, I've never read it. But I think I think I think that that book's pretty hard. Like my rough rule of thumb, and I don't know if it's always accurate. I think I mentioned it here is like basically like I can do a page a minute. So like even a book that like Ducks Newburyport, which we covered, which is a thousand pages, and I did some of that audio book. I was able to get through. At a pace I understood. Yeah. This was like two minutes a page or more sometimes. Right. Well, it's, they're big pages. There's lots of words mm-hmm. on them. Sometimes there are very few uh, breaks for dialogue or, or paragraph breaks. It's it's a very uh, like aesthetically dense book, also with a lot of um, technical language. Mm-hmm. And like I was uh, – I can read. I don't read quickly, but I – you know. You retain much better than I do. But I, but I, I read it like, you know, a, a pretty – even pace. It's sure. like, I'm, I, I'm not like, you can also read, you have a, an ability to read for a longer period mm. of time. Yeah. Yeah. My mind sort of starts to wander. But with this, with this book, I think, I think baked right into, do we even say what book it was? Yeah, uh, I did in the okay. intro. Infinite Jest. Um, baked right into the text are these things that stop you dead. So some of those are end notes, which mm-hmm. then you have to flip to the, to yep. the end of the book, which you've little dog eared the page and, yep. then, and then you have to find and, and which mimics, you know, the bouncing back and forth of a tennis ball in a kind of cutesy way. Um, and, and then, but there's also a lot of um, things like acronyms yes. and stuff like that, which like every time that my eyes ran into a T H C S M E, it was like, Bam, like running right into a bridge, like it just stops right mm. there because I have to like walk through it, you know? And I guess like- And what does that stand for? I don't know, but it's the big fans. Yep. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember what they- It says, it says in an yeah, yeah, what yeah. they stand for, but I don't remember. But like when I when I see it, it's like you think that you could just, like your brain would just like recognize the acronym, keep moving. Yep. But my brain didn't. Every time it was just like A-T-E-H-S-C-M-E, bam, dead stop. O-N-A-N-T-A-A. Yeah. What do you I, think of that, by the way? Do you- I have lots of thoughts about on North America and okay. Well, well I, I guess I guess President Gentile. What do you think of it as a masturbation joke? Wait. Okay, so you know Onan Onanism. Mm-mm. 
Okay, so Onan is the is the guy in the Bible that pulls out and jacks off on the floor. Really? Wait, what? Okay, so in the Bible, <laughs> there there's a guy. I'm with you so far. Is this Old Testament or New Testament? Uh, I think Old Testament. Okay. O n a n Onan. Onan. Yeah, he pulls out and he jacks off on the floor. Why? Um, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't want to get his wife pregnant or something. Okay. And it's a sin. It's a sin. Oh, it's okay. a sin to spill a seed. Oh, so it's to prove that you shouldn't so, do that. So okay. Onanism. Like onanism is masturbation. Is masturbation. Like if you, oh. if you say that someone is an onanist, they're like a masturbator. And, but like, you know, masturbation means a lot of things. So there's a, ma- there's masturbatory, like yeah. pol- a lot of politics is masturbatory. One could call this book masturbatory sure. in many different ways. Yeah, I wouldn't, but. Um, you could. I wouldn't. I mean, I might. <laughs> Not as a negative. Um, okay. So that's, there's, okay. you know, it's, a, it's, it's like a pun. That is like right up front. Okay. Like, okay. And it sort of like clues you in that this book is maybe uh, silly in ways that you wouldn't otherwise get. Like how in um, like William Gaddis and the Recognitions, there's a character called Rectal Brown, <laughs> even though like that's like a very serious book about art and like is very hard to read and dense and a thousand pages long. And you still like it's still like re- there's still a character named Rectal Brown in it. And, I mean, no. Rectal alone, not enough. You have to also throw a brown mm. in there too. Yeah, yeah. I, okay, so I was saying, we were saying before we started recording that when we did the instructions in the campus module, I read that book, we talked about it. I said on the episode very openly, very honestly, very candidly, I felt like I missed a lot. Yeah. Because there's a lot going on in that book, another thousand mm-hmm. page book, right? Mm-hmm. And so literally the day after we recorded, which is the day that I finished that book, I started the book again and I reread it straight through. Yeah. And I'm going to do the same thing here. And I think stuff like the Onan thing, like whatever I'm going to learn from you in the next hour, two hours, whatever we talk about. Yeah. I'm going to apply. So it's not only going to be rereading, but I think that like, I think we've talked a lot on here about the values of rereading, but I think yeah. also there's just, there's so much right. in and, here. And I think, I think a book like this, um, that almost makes an art of, uh, depriving the reader of context. Like there's a, uh, a real value to, uh, the reread so much that I don't think you read this book so much as you reread it. It is a book that in order to fully like mm-hmm. wrap your head around a lot of stuff, you need to read it not once, maybe not even twice. You need to like go back to it every now and then, yep. which is asking a lot of a reader because obviously like who has the time? Yeah. Cause again, this took me 40 hours ish, maybe 30, mm-hmm. 35, 40 hours to read, it's which a is a lot. Yeah, and also a- I said to you and half jokingly, but also half seriously, it kind of ruined my last six weeks Yeah, because I thought I would be able to do this at a pace that I understood. I could, it went much slower than that. And I thought I could read more than I, and like, I was just, I felt like the pressure of like every day I wasn't reading or I didn't have time to read or whatever. Um, I think there's also something about the end, like what the, the, like not a wall that I hit with this, but like you talked about the end notes, the footnotes. Um, I guess they're end notes because at the end. There was something I was doing because like some of these chapters are like 15 pages, very manageable. And then the final chapter, when you do like the time left, it's five and a half hours. And I get there, I'm just like, okay, but it's like one really long ass chapter. It's it's the going back and forth between Gately and Hal. Yeah. Yeah. That I can't do that obviously in one sitting or I'm not going to do that in one yeah, sitting. Yeah, but it's still broken into. No, 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 no I know, I know. Yeah. But like you, you, it's hard to like, you, there's not, right. unless you like flip ahead and I'm reading on Kindle, it's harder to do. Like there's not really a, a logical. So I'm like, okay, I will read 20 pages in this sitting. And so I get like 18 pages through and then all of a sudden there's a 20 page end note. And I'm just like, what am I supposed to do? You know yeah, what I mean? So yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. the kind of thing where, especially on the Kindle, cause the percentage, I don't know. It's, it's a thing where I'm just like, I feel like I was running to this. Like I know that I'm making progress, but it doesn't show that I'm making progress. Cause the little percentage sign isn't going up or whatever, but well, you're making a, I think like a fairly good argument against the technology. 
Like the, the technology is fucking with your experience of reading the book. Well, I think that you were talking about if you just turn that off, what it would be like. And oh, that yeah. would be wild. I was talking about that with the last with the last book. This idea that if you um because at the bottom of Kindle there is a thing that shows you how much percentage of the book you have left, how much time you have left to read. How you many can pages. turn it off. And if yeah, you can turn all that off. So if you have a book like this and you don't even know. Let's say you you never you're not familiar with Infinite Chest at all. You don't know that it's this thousand page book. You just go and you start page one with no information mm-hmm. about when there's an ending coming. This I th- I think that it would be a really strange experience. Your wild this book. You like you would you would literally just keep reading and be like I have no because when this book ends, it's like why does it end there? Right. I I don't have an answer Who, for that. I'm sure you do. Like why? What's the purpose of all this, I mean, I think, that, I mean, yeah, the, the, there is purpose to all of that stuff, but it, it feels like a non-ending in some ways, especially because the chronologically last thing to happen in the book is the very first thing yep. that we're introduced to in the text, which you don't know until you've finished the book. And even when you finish the book, you still don't really know. Like, you, you kind of do, but I don't think it's, like, immediately obvious. Like, if you had told me that, I don't know, or if you hadn't told me that, I don't know that I would have known. Yeah. Also, I don't know that people are listening to this if you haven't read this. If you are, thank you. We appreciate it. But there are also, I think, 388 endnotes. Like, there is just a staggering amount. I don't want to use that word because that's the word associated with him. That's not why I used it. But, like, you know, there's... Are you thinking of Dave Eggers? I am thinking of Dave Eggers. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Never mind. I think think in... in, uh... I think there's like a, a deep purpose to the the length of those endnotes, as as well as the length of the of the chapters and and like the digressive nature in the book, which is that it. Um, I think those digressions are entertaining and they can be really uh, funny, and and tell you all sorts of interesting things about characters, about Boston, because it is like very much a regional mm-hmm. novel. Mm-hmm. They can they can tell you about the nature of addiction in a mm-hmm. way that doesn't advance the plot in any way, but is still like thematically advancing the plot. But also what it does having this wealth of information is that it actually like um, as far as like plot goes, it buries plot details in a way that like the importance of individual events are not immediately apparent to anything, right? It can, it can become very difficult to discern what's important and when and why. Because there's also, there's a lot of the footnotes are like describing what a drug is and not mm. like how you feel when you take it, but like literally the chemical composition. Yeah. There are a lot of footnotes that are describing the publisher and publication date of some text that's referenced in the book. Yeah. And then there are ones that are like a 20 page conversation between Hal and his brother and just like, why is this an end note? Yeah. And it's, you can't, like I asked you, not that I was going to. But I was like, can you skip the endnotes? And you said no. I think that's something that everybody thinks at some point. I think everybody thinks like, well, I'm just going to skip the endnotes. Um, and you, it, this book is com- would be completely not understandable if you skip the endnotes. I think it's already tough to understand if you read the endnotes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But but if you don't read the endnotes, you uh, haven't read uh, James Incanenza's filmography. Mm-hmm. You don't have the really long conversation between Orn and Hal about uh, Quebec separatism. Mm-hmm. Um you don't have uh, uh, Struck's essay on the um, the AFR. Mm-hmm. You don't have a lot of context for the drugs themselves, which are important. But it also does this thing where it's melding um, different voices of, of like technic- technical texts, mm-hmm. um, like the DSM and things like that, with with the more 
uh, casual dialogue of a campus novel, um, which is what the whole the whole book does with with the like harder dialogue of of the meetings and things like that. So, how many times have you read this book, right? Including this one? I'm not sure. A bunch. It's, yeah. Well, a handful. A handful. Yeah. You but like, the, but like, for example, like the first time that I read it, that I was, was giving my I, next question. I was, I was like 18, and I, uh, you know, I skipped a lot. I, I didn't understand. So you read this pretty short after it came out. Like within a couple of years, within a handful of years, uh, like 2001. And it came out, what, 96? Yeah, something like that. So that's relatively, while mm-hmm. he was still alive, right? Yeah, yeah. But you said you read just like the tennis stuff. Yeah, I read it as like I I, I, I uh, was very intimidated by, especially for some reason, the steeply Marath stuff on the mountain. I had a really hard time sort of getting through that and getting into that. And uh, so I read the campus stuff because that's, I think, the easiest to read, the most appealing to a young reader. I think it's also the most fun. I mean, it was the stuff that I enjoyed the most. Because I think he's also very good at describing tennis, like the actual. Yeah, 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 right, which we've talked about before. There's like a beauty to the ability to, um, we did it in in the art of fielding, like that guy knows baseball. And Delilah knows football and baseball. So so when when Wallace really goes into tennis, it's like something that he clearly loves and is very knowledgeable about and you you understand like the poetics of it. And it's, I'm like, he might be describing drugs in the same way, but like, I don't have that kind of experience where I just, I yeah. just don't know. Yeah. Right? I mean, I think that it, it is like, um, you know, I think that you, you end up with a real sense of Wallace through this book. I mean, we know from his life that he, he is a guy that dealt with, uh, substance abuse issues and depression. Um, and, and we know that he's a guy that was like, a as a child, quite a good tennis player. So, um, you know, you're dealing with like this guy, it feels like he's taking the entire wealth of knowledge that he has in the world and like from disparate places and sort of fitting them together to create this Voltron of a book. Now he had, he wrote other novels and a bunch of essays and Short journalistic stories, yeah. stuff and everything like that. But this is like the thing for him, right? I guess so. Yeah. I, I, he's got, have um, you read other novels of his? Sure. Yeah. These, well, he only has one other novel. Oh, okay. Um, it's the broom of the system. Oh, which, he, there was one that was posthumous, right? Yeah. An, okay. an unfinished book. Um, there's the broom of the system, which is his first novel, which is you know not great. But how it's, long is that? Long or is yeah, it's it's long. It's like okay. seven hundred pages or okay. so. Um, is it dense like this? No, not in the not in the same way. Not in a way. Okay, it's, uh, it's like a little goofier. Okay. Um, there's a short story collection, Girl with Curious Hair, a short story collection, Brief Interviews with Hideous Men, short story collection, Oblivion, and then essay collection, Consider the Lobster, a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again. And Is that about cruises? Yeah. Okay. Because uh, past author of this show, Lauren Euler, just did one yeah, about yeah, a crew, yeah. the Goop, the Goop uh, Cruise, and she yeah. like basically, I think, seemingly modeled it after uh, that one. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, he's got a pretty extensive, for someone that, you know, wasn't writing for all that long, 20, yeah. he's like publishing for like 20 years or so. Well, is Would you say he's one of like your guys or is it is like, is this one of your favorite books? Is he one yeah. of your guys? Yeah. And I would like, it's interesting because like this book is, is a book that has, um, and, and like, we shouldn't, we shouldn't do like a cult of personality thing here. And, but, but like, this is a book that has like ended up with a reputation on mm-hmm. the internet and like, a like, you know, it's on BuzzFeed lists that are like a red flag. If a guy has this on his bookshelf, don't date him. Or like, uh, you know, men trying to like talk their girlfriends into reading David Foster Wallace, et cetera, et cetera, which is like, you know, I get it. That stuff is annoying, but it's also like that doesn't really have that much to do with the book itself. Well, I think what's weird is like, I, I feel like, and again, not, I think I'm less well-read than most people probably listening to this show, mm-hmm. but I'm also more well-read than most people just because people don't read. But I was amazed that like in the six or eight weeks or whatever it took me to read this book as I was like talking to people about it, 
unless you were the guy who worked at the used bookstore that I bought a copy from to have the physical copy along with the Kindle, everyone I mentioned this to were just like, I don't know what that is. Yeah, it's like, you know. And like, it, so it's like this monolith or whatever. Like, it's this like thing to, like a mountain to scale in literature. Yeah. And then like so many people just like, even if they like, they read and they read yeah. probably nonfiction or whatever, they're just like, Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't well, it's, like, it's like what I was saying to you about the Barbie movie when like uh, Greta Gerwig puts in that joke about pavement about mm-hmm. the guy being like, oh, pavement is a postcard, blah, 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 blah. And, and it's like that is so like like pointed from like people in Greta Gerwig's life yep. because like if you're a kid going to see that movie, if you're uh, a teenager, like – they don't. They have no idea who Pavement is. Much, much less the type of guy that mansplains Pavement. Like Barbie is like a movie for forty year olds. It's not a movie for kids. All the references in it are stuff to like things that are yeah. from when um, she was she was younger. But it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 very strange. But you know, we did it. Here we are. So <laughs> okay. When I was asking you, I liked Barbie. By the way, that wasn't a criticism. No, Barbie's great. But when I was early on the book, you know, first 100 or 200 pages, I was like, what would you describe? How would you describe this as like a camp song? You just said it's about addiction, right? It's just like yeah. that's just what this yeah. is. Yeah, whether it be about um, drug addiction or addiction to entertainment or addiction to attention or addiction to uh, uh, any of the things. Sex that, addiction? Uh, sex, yeah. So, um, you know, I don't know. How do you want to go through this? It's a hard book to choose to go through. We I don't can, know. We can go through it by, by uh, like, do you want to talk about, we can talk about ETA, then we can talk about the Ennett House, then we can talk about. Um, Just Ennett House. The Ennett House makes you sound like an outsider. Yeah, right. <laughs> I want to say, before I go any further, my favorite character is the moms. Oh, yeah, that's so weird. Why? Because she, Well, she's evil. She's one of the villains of the book, I think. Uh, do you think so? Yeah. Why? That's a really good question. Because I think, I think. What sold it for me is yeah. the scene with her and Mario. Mm-hmm. She's so loving and doting, even yeah. though they have a very right. strange relationship, I think, overall. I also think maybe the funniest thing in the book, and it's a very specific, like you sent to a thread a screenshot of the Attorney's General thing, but about the, what was the joke in the comic book? It's not this joke, but it's a different thing. But there's like- Oh, Natty's Ice. Natty's Ice. There's a couple like uh, grammatical things that I very yeah. much like. And the I think one of the funniest things in this book is another thing that I really like is her going from supermarket to supermarket, changing 10 yeah. items or less to 10 mm. items or fewer. I just think that's so yeah. specifically annoying, but she's right. And I just I thought that was just so right. weird and specific and funny. But why um, do you think she's a villain? Because of the way that she drowns people with love, the, the way that she um, is uh, very, very deceptive, I think, while while being like like fronting it as though she's not being deceptive while while like pretending like people can be so open uh to her while really they know that they have to hide things because they know that she won't put up any defenses like that's very much like i i think he really captures something about like uh the way that certain moms are um also she's a villain well she's a child molester in in many and 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 uh likely that she uh had sex with her own child, Oren. Mm-hmm. Um, she certainly has having sex with John Wayne. I mean, I'm not. I'm not here to to uh, look. Nobody's to, perfect. I'm, I'm not here to slut shame, but she's she's like all right. over in this book, right? CT like Mario is CT's kid, likely. Who is her not brother? I mean, not but likely. Like, Mario Mario is CT's kid. I, I think there's no I, I, half I brother, step brother. 
Uh, he's called her half brother, but they they go the pretty pretty far lengths to to explain that they're not related by blood. Right. That just like some new woman or whatever. Yeah. So like maybe the mom shouldn't be my favorite character. Well, no, I it's 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 I, fine. I mean, the, the, I like the parts thing, of better character. The, the thing is that all that stuff is layered in in such a way that it is like not immediately apparent, and and you don't get that much from her. There's so much of the book where she's um a presence that is distant. Mm-hmm. Where like she's she's like hovering, hovering. I always get people give me shit for the way I pronounce that word. That was a very Quebecois. Hovering, um, uh, in, in the like, like around, like Hal is always referring to her, and Mario is always referring to her, and Orin is very clearly like afraid of her slash like think traumatized she's, by th- her maybe th- think she's evil. Mm-hmm. She actually doesn't talk that much. No, there's only a there's only a couple of scenes where she's actually speaking. The scene with her and Mario, and the scene with her and Hal in mm-hmm. the office when she gives him the apple. Yeah, and even that is like the apple is like an example of the ways in which she uses love as sort of cudgel. Mm-hmm. What's um, that mean? A cudgel is like a shillelagh, like something oh. you like beat okay. someone to death with. You know, she's giving him the apple knowing that and he has to take it because she's so good at hiding the fact that it like is her only apple and she's suffering for the love of her children Mm -hmm. and her children know that she's suffering for them. But that's part of it. Like she wants them to know that she's suffering. But like part of the game is showing that she's not suffering and convincing them to take the apple anyway. Right. Like it's very manipulative and manipulative of a child, which is like very dark. Yeah, it's pretty dark. Yeah. I think so. You had mentioned very early on in my reading that your favorite character is Pimulus. Yeah, and I was reading just like, you don't understand why. Mm-mm. Yeah, uh, like I, I think he's cool. But yeah, I think, yeah, I think like when you said not only is he your favorite character, <laughs> in all of literature, in all of literature, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah. I'm in for something big here. No, and no, then, no, like he's cool, but it's also just like he's also kind of like a not like a minor character, but not it's kind of a minor character. No, I don't. I don't think he. I, I think he's a villain too. Um, and, and, uh, like, but what I like about him is the same thing that I like about Benji Nakamuk in the instructions. I think that there's something about like a not to be fucked with teenager who like, he doesn't really fit into this school. He's, he's like, uh, uh, he's from Boston. First of all, like most of the kids are not from Boston and he's from working class Boston. He's from Alston. You get this sense that he, you don't get this. I mean, you know that he's coming from this hellish background mm-hmm. of his father raping his brother while he's there right there's that right. whole chapter about yes. maddie, maddie pemulus with the fucking the boom thing um and and he's like coming through that but you don't get that sense from him like he's never like like he never seems like a victim in any no. way um but he is clearly like this like menace he's kind of like a drug dealer he's like a, he, a, no he is a, a drug, he, criminal he is he is a drug dealer but he's like a, a menace in the in the text like there are kids in the text like um coil or or uh keith freer who like or trolsch like these are kind of weenies that we don't really like we don't mm-hmm. we don't like these kids for various reasons and like you get the sense that like pamulus is really gonna fuck these kids like he's gonna like when when trolsch is the one that gets him ultimately expelled because Trolsch has been taking the uh the Visine? his his speed. No, he's been oh, ta- oh, he's oh, been oh, taking yeah, yeah. he's been like slowly like stealing his speed and keeping it in the Seldane bottle. And then when John Wayne feels sick and he comes over to get a little bit of Seldane from Trolsch, Trolsch accidentally gives him the speed and that leads to John Wayne like ranting in front of everybody, which is the thing that gets Pamela's kicked out of school because then they search his stuff and they find all of his drugs and things like that. And also ruins John Wayne's chances in the Whataburger tournament, right? Or no? No. 
Is that something separate? It's yeah, that is something separate. Because in the first chapter, which I reread, yes. they talk about Hal talks about how John Wayne would have won, but he didn't. Yeah. Which is why. Or does that not matter? I mean, everything matters. No, 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 no. It matters. Um, it because uh, something happened to him, or because right. So, so in that first chapter, what you have, like, y- you have this scene that is kind of hard to piece together. Is that like the University of Arizona admissions office? Yeah, but not even that. It's this is just just within the flashback. This is like oh, the, this is the part of the text that is uh, the most confusing. There is a scene in which Hal is remembering himself. Don Gately himself himself or himself? No. Hal is. Yeah. Sorry. Hal is remembering how. Okay. Hal is remembering how Gately and John Wayne digging up James and Condenses himself's his head. head and Gately's wearing a mask and John Wayne is there. Which we don't see that later in the book. Or no, do we? no, not it's at only all. reference there. That's the only reference okay. between between the end of Gately being in the hospital with his severe infection fighting off uh uh the rush or the canucks n- yeah no he's fighting off like the oh, uh, mean- uh, d- drug addiction yes like in in a serious way um between then and the beginning of the book where hal is uh interviewing at the university of arizona we don't know what happens but bad something bad happens something weird happens well we know that they he goes to to uh dig up james and condense's head for some reason do we know why? Yeah, because the master cartridge for the for the entertainment is in his head. Oh right. Yeah. Oh boy. There's so much in this book. Which might be the reason why he kills himself by putting his head in a microwave. To fry it? Yeah. But it doesn't work. Or maybe it doesn't work. Who knows? Yeah, we don't know. Jesus Christ. That's a gnarly suicide. Yeah, it's a and it's a reference to Sylvia Plath too, right? It's like a postmodern reference to Sylvia Plath because Sylvia Plath stuck her head in the oven. Speaking of postmodern, that's not this, but technology. I want to talk about, before I talk about the different sections, I know that like 1996, all things considered, not that long ago. Yeah. But also in terms of technology, radically long ago. But mm-hmm. there are things that he describes in this text that I was just like, holy shit. Like we're to the point where it's not even prescient, it's like beyond prescient, just like describing Zoom, describing avatars or whatever, describing like streaming as opposed yeah, to Netflix. broadcast TV. Ne- like Netflix and in, in so far as like ordering the cartridges yep. and stuff too. Or just like having whatever you want on demand at any point, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I'm sure there are other things he's describing that didn't play out that don't stand out, but like there's at least two or three things are just like, that's spot on. Like it's not even spot, it's just, it's, that's just what it is. Written in 96, but when does it takes place over like a 10 year sort of stretch, maybe? Um, I mean, the first stuff takes place in, in, what do you mean? I mean, most of the book takes place within a year. Okay. But there's like 10 years of like the subsidized time. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Which I took a screenshot of him there. Ooh, is this it? I found it. You're the Whopper, Tux, Medicated Pad, Trial Size Dove Bar, Purdue Wonder Chicken, Whisper Quiet, Maytag Dishwasher. All of that, we don't really know. You shit you, blah, blah, blah. Dairy products from New York and Heartland. I think there's maybe some of that, but it's mostly the depend adult undergarments. And you're the glad. Yeah. And you're glad. So do do we know when this is set time-wise or no? Like when it's supposed to be? Mm-hmm. 2005. Okay. So like a little in the future, but not radically yeah. in the future. Yeah, yeah. But it's far enough in the future. Because when, when Hal is a kid and, he's, and he eats the moss, he, mm-hmm. it's, it's the 90s. Right. Okay. Because there was a thing... Oh boy. Gately talks about something. He references something. 
And I was like, okay, I have a, I have a sense of like, he was born like in the late seventies, early eighties, I think, or something like that. I don't remember. There's, uh, there was a thing he mentions toward the end where I was like, time wise, I can kind of clock. Yeah. Well, he grows up watching, he grows up watching Cheers. Well, I mean, you can grow up watching Cheers now. And right? his, and his, um, oh no, that's Steeply. Steeply's dad watched, uh, the, um, mash, mash, right. That's a dark sequence. Yeah. Um, I also want to talk about in terms of the prescient thing, it's not exactly what happened, but a crooner, non-politician, running on basically yeah. Make America Clean Again. Yeah, who's also, he's a germ foe. That whole thing is so fascinating because, like, it's, I don't want to say it's not important, but you could be like, it's not important, but it also informs everything about everything mm-hmm. and about just dumping all garbage and toxic waste and everything and just, like, yeah, it's, uh, uh, well, it's like uh, it's also like doing a climate change thing, right? It's yeah. like it's like predicting our, our disastrous actions resulting and America's ability to to like hand those disastrous actions off so that someone else deals with the consequences. Always. Right. Right. Or just like the little things where they reference like the 49 star flag and there's an end note. It's just like, you know, because we, we lost me. It's just like, oh, right. <laughs> yeah, Maine, yeah, Maine yeah. no longer exists. It's just like that's it's so weird. Yeah, and then there's the, fer- there's the feral hamsters and mm-hmm. there's the, the plants that like grow and then the thing like sucks all the poison out of the air so that things grow like huge and mm-hmm. then and then the poison comes back, so they all die. So you have these like cycles yep. of going through season. And there are like rumors of like these like the rats or like the toddlers or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like not that he's like he just has birth defects, but there's it's it's you know Mario is severely deformed because he's maybe an incest baby. No, I know. I I don't think that's. I a, think what you said before kind of confused me. Yeah. Um. Well, there's a line, a very confusing line that says. Um, the first birth of the Incandenza's second son. The first birth of the Incandenza's second son. Yeah. Meaning, okay. meaning that it's probably not, I think, I think this is, this is my read on it, which is, um, that Hal is James's second son. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Mario is Avril's second son. Cause Mario is oh. Avril's kid with CT. Okay. And the reason why it's, it, it's like, feels like fairly obvious that it's CT is, is not only because CT in a chapter says, refers to Mario as possibly that thing that he fathered. Um, but also, uh, when they describe CT's, what CT's mom looks like, she's sounds like she looks exactly like Mario. She's like a dwarf or something, yeah, right? Yeah, she's with yeah. a head that's too big. And then, and then Mario's like born like at 20 weeks or something. It seems so, like she doesn't even know she's pregnant. She just like has a kid yeah, like yeah, on yeah, steps yeah, or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. So and he's just, got all these things wrong with him because of, because of all that, but maybe also because of the like mutagenic stuff from, I, yeah. But it's just like, there's like so much going on in the world that like doesn't impact the text, but also informs the world at large. Mm-hmm. Just wild to think about. Okay. Bisection ETA. Yeah, what do you what how do you want to talk about ETA? The Enfield Tennis Academy. Um I don't I don't I don't know where okay, to begin. So, so thematically it attacks this idea of addiction by like um looking at this desire for uh celebrity stardom, like people who are hyper focused on doing one thing uh to to become athletes to go to the show, yep. right? They're training them to be entertainers. Yep. Um Lamont Shue is probably the best example of this because he's like paralyzed because he wants to be famous so badly that he can't actually like. Like as soon as he starts doing well, he realizes he's doing well. Yeah, and he it, stops, it stops him. functioning. Yep. You know, these various characters that are there, um, 
and want it in different ways. And some characters are a lot healthier than others. Like Teddy Schacht seems like a really healthy character. He sort of knows that he's going to be a dentist. He's like plateaued is a word that gets used a lot. Well, assuming that his older brother doesn't drop out of the seminary or whatever, right? Is that that kind? No, that's a different kid. I, um, you thinking of, of Loach? Yes. Yeah. He's not a, he's not a kid. He's a trainer. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> I did love when he realized he wanted to be a trainer when he put a bandaid in an X-Men figure and just like, that's such a weird specific visual. Yeah. I mean, I also want to apologize to anybody who loves this book and hears me talking about like confusing everything, but I'm trying. No, but they, uh, anyone, they, they anyone listening it. probably knows that it's like hard to talk about this book for the first time without, mm-hmm. you know, I think this is like a. A version of that where it's like we're not being too academic about it because it's hard to be terribly academic about it the first time through. Um, it's hard to remember everything the yeah. first time through. But you've got Hal. You've got let's let's focus on the inconvenience okay. of family first. You've got Hal, Mario, Oren, Avril, and James. Um, Hal is a lexical prodigy and a very very good tennis player like maybe because of his intelligence is sort of ostracized, isolated. He's, he was clearly like a weenie as a kid mm-hmm. that like, like used to wear a bow tie and stuff that was sort of grew into being someone that's like kind of cool, but he still adjusts his bow tie before he enters the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's very like, uh, in some ways he's our protagonist. Yep. Um, he's one of two characters that are like the point of view characters that I would say. Him and Gately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that were really like following their story. He's, but he's the only one that writes from a first no, person. No, because no, uh, uh, no, like, uh, boy, but it, it almost, feels- almost in the very beginning you have, um, well, it starts in first person. Yeah. But you also have that section with the, the, uh, wording, um, where it's like in like very sort of offensively written. This, oh. is, this is the part that I don't like in the book. Yeah. It's like very poorly, uh, it's, it's a very, very poor, like karaoke version of, African-American English vernacular. Mm-hmm. Um, that's written in first person. Okay. Um, and there's some other stuff that's in that's But it in feels weird, like and I texted you about this, when at the end it reverts to first person. Like, it's just like, oh. Yeah. Because yeah, it's yeah. been hundreds of pages with that. Uh-huh. But Gately's isn't in first. Um, also, uh, is it in first person when, um, I think when James's father is talking to him? I don't know. Yeah. This also raises a question, and I know that we're drifting from ETA, but I asked you the other day who wrote this, basically, like, in in whose perspective, because, like, there's people, like, the weird thing, it's kind of funny, but, like, people are, like, there's a lot of, like, the journalistic abbreviation, SIC, like, sick, like, like, as it was written or whatever, there's people writing abbreviations, and there's endnotes that are defining the abbreviations, it's like, you could just write it out, like, I don't know... I rarely know who's actually like telling the story, who they're telling the story to. If the same person is endnoting, if there's some kind of like editor, because like in, I don't think it's worth getting lost and all that. I'm not. It doesn't. I'm just. I was curious about it because yeah, yeah. like in the instructions, like it's clear, right? And like that's like it's a story of basically like a Christ-like figure. Um, and here it's just like because there's so many different ways that he writes, which well, is impressive, but it's also. I was not confused by it, but I was curious about it. There's even at the very, very end, once we exit Hal's point of view. So you have you have Hal writing in first person. And then when it's clear that they are going to play the tennis exhibition game and uh, Loach, Barry Loach is, is taping up his, his leg. Shaving and taping, yeah. There is someone that says, all of us in here. 
Mm-hmm. So it's that's clearly being narrated by an unnamed ETA kid. Right. And we don't it's we don't know who it is. There's no I, just, I was just curious yeah. about it because like it feels not like it's going to unlock something, but it's like, oh, that could like inform. No, it's totally it's a totally shifting perspective throughout the entire thing. Do you like that about it or are you not? Care? No, I think it's I think it's great. I think it's kaleidoscopic in a way that is uh, very ha- hard to structure, frankly. Like the structure of this book is is a marvel. Um, yeah, it's it's very like like one thing that fascinates me about the structure of it is let's say Gately is the main character. Mm-hmm. You don't have Gately's background right. until the end of the book. Yeah. The end of the book does all the Gately exposition that you would normally put up front so that you learn about him. And then, mm-hmm. and then you get all the stuff afterwards, but it does it the other way around the end of the book. You learn about Gately. Although in rereading the first chapter, I think it's funny that he like, he figures out a way to give you everything you need to know about how he's just like, this guy's doing my favorite thing where he's telling me about myself. So I don't have to talk. And she's like, you are Harold and Kendenza. It's just like, <laughs> you're 18 real... years old. You're a tennis prodigy. It's just like, all right, we get it. But like it worked. It's, it, yeah. It, it's, it's a, that's a real like expository trick. But like it, it, it kind of tracks. I also do think, and but there's other, there, wait, like there's weird things in, in that very beginning that are um, like indicative of very, very strange things that if you don't like, if you don't look up an individual name, like it'll it it'll like shoot right by you, right? So one of those things is I think the guy's name is Ben Gabor. He says I let, let me let, I, I'm gonna break the rule. Well, here. you look it up because there's also like there's a weird thing that we've not mentioned where in these different characters narrating the text will use the wrong word or they'll like they'll use yeah. it'll, it might just be like completely the wrong word or it might be a word that they think sounds like they mishear something. And sometimes it's corrected, sometimes it's not. You sort of have to like, yeah. And it's, with it's, Randy Lenz does this a lot, but I think like a lot of characters do it, which is right. You know, strange. I also do think in terms of the first person, not first person, but like the close narration. One of my favorite sections was Joelle because I feel like there's like the mystery uh-huh. of like why is she in the veil, and eventually as she's cleaning in Enid House, she's cleaning things around. She's like remembering different dinners and Thanksgivings, and then remembers the acid and whatever. Like it just. That was like her sort of, and I think that's the the druggy kind of like yeah. floating around through space and time. Yeah, mind drift. I mean, there is there we we can like approach the argument of whether or not Joelle is actually deformed. Well, I thought for a while that she was wearing a veil to just have people because she's because she's, she's, she's lethally pretty, right? Right. But then we're maybe probably led to believe that she was hit in the face with a violent We are, we are led to believe she is hit in the face. Like it says, it refers to Orin as a dodger of acid extraordinaire. Um, but because someone dodges acid doesn't mean that someone else got hit by acid. Right. I don't think it ever like explicitly states that she was hit by Because her mom throws it at her dad for admitting that he was in love with her. Mm-hmm. He ducks. Orin being the supreme athlete, he ducks. And she gets and then maybe we just, gets hit in the face right. with it. Yeah. But also like the whole like veil thing, like there's like there's a community of people who like wear veils to and she like explains why I'm like the, the UHID. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether she is or not, but, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so the thing that I was talking is Dennis Gabor, not Ben Gabor. Um, in, in, in the very first chapter, uh, Hal says, like, I believe that Dennis Gabor very well may be the Antichrist. Now, do you know who Dennis Gabor is? I do not. So Dennis Gabor is the guy that invented holographics. He invented holography. Like holograms, yeah. Okay, holographs. What, what's a what's the difference? Um, I think a holograph is like uh, Princess Leia in. So what's a hologram? I don't know. Uh, uh, but but like the 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 like the projection. Yeah. Of, okay. I, yeah. Okay, okay. Um. So the um. 
this point being that like that is like a fundamental nature of the entertainment right the the like the infinite jest the the cartridge that jim makes that is like lethally entertaining is partially like because there's holography in it Mm -hmm. right so it's like how is like i don't know like like if you don't know who dennis gabor is which i had no idea i looked it up and, and like it, it, I don't know what it necessarily feeds so into. Just a, maybe just a metatextual joke on like. I don't. Well, it's not a joke. It's like he's just saying like, here's a thing that's part of that cartridge, and he is the like very well maybe the Antichrist because, like, he created this thing that that, well, that like was used and was devastating the same way that like, like maybe, Oppenheimer. Yeah, the same right. way that maybe like someone who you know, first enriched uranium or whatever. Is. Right. I guess, I mean, there's, so there's two, I mean, there, my brain went two different ways. There's the Hamlet thing, which I don't really, because I don't, I don't know that I've ever read Hamlet. I might've read Hamlet. I don't know. Yeah, Sorry. The, no, no, that's fine. But it's, it, oh, you were just, you were just, you were, think, your eyes are flexing think, in other well, ways. Well, I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying, I'm trying to see like how that would like. Cause you had an idea while we were in the middle of the season, you had an idea to like, there's a different way we could sort of structure the show where you build up to a novel like this by reading things that sort of like. Yeah. It was Meg's idea. Oh, shout out to the egg. Mm-hmm. Um, where you like we would read Hamlet and you would sort of understand like re- having read King yeah. Lear. You'd read Hamlet, you'd read Oblomov, you'd read. Right. You know, any number of the texts. But that... Like having read King Lear, I, like I picked up on different things in succession and like you mm-hmm. could sort of like know whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, so there's that element to it. There's also the other thing I wanted to bring up was the you sent me the article that someone just recently wrote about or referenced the like dopamine, like the mice, the pure ecstasy thing that like. Is just in here too. Like there's just like these. Oh these yeah, I think it was the Sam Chris. Things or, that just the Sam Chris article about ASMR. Yes, which mm-hmm. I don't fully whatever, but like there's things in here that like are still topics and debate and whatever. Yeah, I just derailed us anyway. ETA. No, no, no. I mean that's that's because Steeply and Marath have that same conversation about mm-hmm. about that exact right. thing. So yeah, it's, but you sent me that article before I got there. I'm like, yes, I know what you're talking <laughs> about. And then I just like when I then I read the article and I'm like, yeah fuck does it have to do with anything and then I got like 200 pages well still like, you, would, you would know that it has to do with like this idea of choosing like entertainment over over all these other things I also like fundamentally disagree with the like ASMR like as evil not that I like it but I'm like whatever but I also see the point yeah, that yeah. they're making anyway ETA um, yeah so it, it's this like um, boarding school that is is incredibly incredibly hyper uh intellectual classes mm-hmm. seem really really difficult there the math and everything because yeah. Avril is like some um everyone there seems like a prodigy of some kind intellectually but also at, at tennis or or math or languages it feels like a boys school but there are girls there but like we don't really follow the girls who are there we don't follow the girls who are there but um, there there's like seemingly not as many because they talk about the ratios but like there's an entire like successful girls tennis program yeah that like we just don't really know much about unless they're on adjacent courts or whatever. Yeah. Um, I wonder why that is. I think there really aren't that many female characters in the novel at all. You really only have Avril and Peacoat and Kate Gompert, and who's, Kate Gompert. Who's, a, who's a pretty big deal for the novel, I think. But I like the ETA stuff, I think, the most. I think it's the most straightforward. Yeah. I think it's the most like the kind of thing that I like to read. Like when we talked, you mentioned before Art of Fielding or like the DeLillo stuff. Like it feels a lot like Endzone. Yeah, Eschaton feels like it. Eschaton is almost like a straight um, end zone thing about the like war, I mean, war the games motel room or whatever, right? Kids. Yeah, yeah. And it's just it's fun, and it feels even though there are strings of addiction narrative 
clearly throughout here, it doesn't feel as bleak as like the ended house stuff, the recovery, the meetings, the A, the NA, the, all that stuff. Right. It feels okay. like yeah. Fund- fundamental to Hal's character is that he's addicted to marijuana, and also as Bob. addicted as addicted to uh, the secrecy of getting high mm-hmm. as he is to marijuana. Which, as we come to find through all of the, um, there are a lot of um, narratives told at various uh, anonymous groups. In this and and these narratives are often about drugs, but they're also about like the other stuff, the other the reasons for getting for wanting to get high, the reasons for like right. the hole being filled, and um in in Hal's case, like he he loves the secret, he's as addicted to the secrecy as he is to the seems like more so even maybe yeah 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 and and like maybe one of the reasons why he's having such a tough time at the end is that he doesn't have he's no longer has the secret thing to go do. Um, as well as no, no longer. You at some point asked, what was the question you asked? Why does he, a couple weeks ago, you asked me like, why do you think that he, why, why doesn't he speak in the beginning or why does yeah, well, he, what's, what's going on with him in the beginning? Why, wh- like, what do you think happens? To I him? don't know, but I, I, like the narrative unfolds in a way that like what I interpret from it, maybe it's straightforward, maybe it's obvious, or maybe it's not, I don't know, is that he is so paralyzed by not that he would get kicked out by, but by, by the fact that like moms and ct would be like shame that like their relative was this kid who like was a druggie or yeah, whatever the moms, the moms would be ashamed not that he was a druggie but that he was keeping a secret from her right which is partially why he is addicted to keeping to, to being secretive because it's like he gets to withhold right from this person that like is so engulfing of him and knows everything so after the eschaton game goes I don't want to say awry, but like I think awry is fine. Awry, fine. Um, and like he thinks that like they're gonna get maybe expelled or suspended from that or whatever. It turns out that they're just gonna be like drug tested, right? Mm-hmm. And so he tries to quit cold turkey. Yeah. Well they're getting drug tested. Like he he's getting drug tested because he has to, but they're trying to they're they're really drug testing so that they can kick Pamulus out. But even though he sort of convinces them to give thirty days to whatever. And how does he do that? I don't remember. He walks in on Avril and John Wayne in like sexual right stuff and, and, and like makes it known that he will tell Hal. Blow that up. Yeah. Even though Hal already knows. And we learn at the end, like when Hal's going through it, he's like, the moms has been in a sexual relationship with John Wayne since the beginning of last year. Um, and also here are all the other people that she's had sex with. You know, nobody's perfect. Yeah. But so he, he's afraid of not, like, again, it's the kind of thing where it's like he doesn't care what happens to him, but he doesn't want to let down the people around him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so but seemingly there is kind of the like I was surprised when I reread the first chapter that he like not only. Somewhat keeps it together, I guess, even though he's not, but like he he he's together enough to at least win a match because they talk about like how he won that morning and he's going to probably win the next day, too. And just like. Oh, because it seemed like at the toward the end of his narrative, like in, in literally throughout the book, that he's not going to be able to even play tennis, let alone win a match. Yeah, because it's not physically. Um, it somehow somehow translates that on tennis, he's still made like he's even improved. Um, he's he's incredible on the court. It's just when he tries to make himself understood. And what is that about? Um, well, it's you know, it's 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 a great fear of his from the very beginning. And, and it's the uh, the fear of not being able to make himself understood. Um, and also it's uh, James and Condenza's, uh, like, has hallucinations that he's not communicating with Hal, um, that Hal's, like, mute. 
and can't communicate with him, which is why he makes the entertainment. Um, the entertainment being, I don't think we've even mentioned what it is so far. The entertainment being a, an attempt to communicate with his son. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's trying to make something, he ends up making something that's so entertaining that it's lethal to anyone who views it. It becomes a thing that all you want to do is rewatch this thing mm-hmm. over and over and over again, over and over again. And we, we sort of, uh, there's very little that we know of what is actually part of it, but we know that it includes the following things. This idea that you're always killed by a woman and your rebirth, the, the woman that killed you is always your mother in the next life. Right. And that within this film you have... Joel uh, naked, apologizing as death, as death, but also as you know, because because she's the mother who kills the right, and then births them in the next life. So you have her apologizing over and over again to an infant, mm-hmm. um, which is the camera rigged up to with a wobble vision thing, a lens that James made because he's not only he's, he's an avant-garde filmmaker, but he's, uh, um, more like an optics man. Like he's, he crafts all his own lenses. He creates all this. Um, he's technically very proficient, but very bad at narrative. And um, also probably at editing too. And probably at editing Maybe. too. Yeah. Maybe, depending on who you ask. So, so he has created this, um, vision that mimics, uh, being a child and that child being apologized to over and over again by the mother. Right. Uh, who is the uh, Joelle Van Dyne, who is uh, in the book, she's Madam Psychosis, um, which is a pun on the term Madam Psychosis. Madam Psychosis being. The <laughs> <laughs> laughing because I'm just like, didn't get that either. Yeah. Uh, Madam Psychosis is, is a complicated uh, thing, but I think it's got something to do with like the the psychological space between two worlds being alive and dead. Okay. I'm going to come back to that. I'll come um, back to her in a second. And, yes. and she is apologizing over and over again to the baby. And it's like, can we go back to Freud and, and Oedipus and things mm-hmm. like this? And she's, and this is what's thought of as being the most entertaining thing in, in the planet because we all are, it, it's, it's like a way to have someone forgive you preemptively or apo- not forgive you, but apologize preemptively to you. Um, by like reminding you of your childhood, mm-hmm. bringing you back to like these moments of allows you to relive them. It's a very complicated thing. Do you think, aside from this, which is clearly super successful, any of his other films are good? Because it seems like they're you kind of have to be a fan. Yeah, no, they they sound like horrible. I do. So it reminds- I mean, they're, 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 a lot of them are really really funny concepts. Yeah. Well, like, there's the, like, I love the one where it's like just the camera set up on the film critics or whoever. Yeah, like, yeah, the joke. Which is very good. Reading about his films, though, reminded me of two books you had me or one book you had me read that I did not like. And then one book that I read that retroactively I wish that we had done this season, but Flickr and Antkind. Yeah, you didn't like Flickr, right? I did not like Flickr. I mean, I, I grew to like it, but I just had a really tough time getting through that. Yeah. I probably like it more in the second. I would probably like most books more another time through. But I felt I, it, it reminded me of that of like this like whole world of filmography that does not exist will never exist but yeah. like means so much to well so much so, so much of the filmography is um the relation of audience to entertainment right you have the medusa versus the odalisk in which the the medusa and the odalisk are battling on stage and uh the medusa 
um, they have like a, a hand mirror and a reflective shield. Do you mm-hmm. remember this at all? Yeah, yeah. And so they're so slowly like as the audience is catching their reflections, the audience is slowly turning into you have um, the, the cage, which is the one that is people are invited in, on onto one side uh, to witness people doing incredibly humiliating things to themselves. And as they witness them doing incredibly humiliating things to themselves, their eyes grow bigger and bigger and bigger until they're entire, until they become one enormous eyeball. I don't remember this. And then on the other side, you learn that those people were invited in to humiliate themselves with the promise of being able to watch someone turn into an enormous eyeball. I don't remember that. that okay. That so, rules though. So, so yeah. So, so it's all about, um, like the audience's relationship to the, to the text to, to itself the art. Yeah, okay. and, and whether or not that art is humiliating, um, as like, you know, something, something like, uh, pornography might be right. Mm-hmm. We, we have that incredibly moving thing at the end where James like is talking to Orin and he's saying like, if it were up to me, like, I don't want you to think that that's what sex is. It's that's a beautiful conversation. Yeah. And it's like, but you, it's, it's the only beautiful conversation that you ever get from James. Right. Right. And Orin is not, well, cause he's not really alive in much of yeah, the text. Like much yeah, of yeah. the text is like reflecting back to conversations or through the art, but uh-huh. yeah, it's like a, it's a very nice conversation. Um, and and you have this also this idea of the audience being uh, – the audience can't talk back to the art. Right. Right? And so you have like that sort of himself's relationship to Hal is yeah. like Hal is like this mute thing that he can't communicate with. The same way that as a filmmaker, he can't communicate with the audience. The audience watches, but they can't talk back and they often don't get it and they mm-hmm. can't – they can't like – and they're not relating on any emotional level, which is something that Hal like – goes through all like he goes through all the time like looking at his films going like yeah but like conceptually like this guy's brilliant but he can't like emotionally touch anyone in any real way there's a there's a distance which also is like you know he's he's talking about postmodernism in general like Wallace is is fighting back against this idea of postmodernism as something that keeps you at an arm's length something that is always always saying like like this isn't my opinion because like I don't or, 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 or like keeps you from ever giving an opinion on something because to give an opinion on something would be like drippy and uncool. Right. Like you can always if, – if you maintain a sarcastic demeanor, you, the rise you, of can, irony and you stuff. can always yeah. dismiss anything mm-hmm. that anything that comes your way, right? So like himself being incapable of, of um, communicating emotionally – is is like symbolic in, in in a lot of ways, and in, in the same way that like you know, Infinite Jest is in a lot of ways a postmodern novel, but in a lot of ways, it's a reaction to postmodernism because it's trying to get at things really seriously and really um, sincerely, right? He th- there is a part in this book that is like fucking devastating to me, and it is the part that's like uh, it's sort of like the ducks, it's a duck, ducks Newburyish Newbury Portish part where he's talking about like the truths of living in the halfway house. Mm-hmm. And it goes, um, Gately is, it, I don't, it's not even necessarily like any, any particular narrator. It's just going through and some of it's funny. It's like, you'll learn that like white penises and black penises are basically the same size. And that that thought is like, ends up being disappointing somehow that mm-hmm. you wanted the black penises to be bigger. Um, that you'll learn that like people can smoke cigarettes in their sleep. But like towards the end, it says, um, number one, it says, uh, sometimes you just have to sit in a place and hurt. Mm. You just have to hurt. You just have to like sit there and hurt. And then the other thing that it says is there is a thing as unagended, raw, unalloyed kindness. And that exists in places that you would never expect for it to be sure. like, like a, a halfway house or yeah. 
you know, you can't, you can't know where it's coming from because, you know, some of the most beautiful, some of the, the, the beautiful things in this book come from people that if you pass them on the street, you would, you would cross the street to get away from them. Right. Right. The, the book really leans hard on very grotesque things, very like, like people that have, um, deformities and people that have personal backstories that are so immoral, amoral, brutal, cruel. And it asks you to care for these people by, by saying like, look, this is where they are in their lives. And they're, they're accepting that they're powerless and like in their lack of power, like you, you should look at them and you should see them as human beings who deserve whatever you can give them. Right. Like Gately, especially because he's like this behemoth of a man who seems to be described as like bigger than anyone and like ugly and hates himself and like has a very troubled past and Mm -hmm. like was a criminal and was a drug addict and everything. And then has has killed multiple people. When push comes to shove, he will do whatever it takes to take care of the people around him. Right. And Mm -hmm. then just the kindness of Joel being just like, like kind to him is just like almost immeasurably. What is Hamlet about? What's the plot of Hamlet? Um, I could have I could have looked this up. So but I didn't. a uh, uh, is it is a family drama? Kind of. Um. So Hamlet is the prince. Okay. Uh, Hamlet's father is a ghost. He's, okay. He was killed. Okay. By the guy that is by Hamlet's uncle, who now wants to marry Hamlet's mother. Okay. So so I'm seeing the parallels already. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So so himself is the ghost. Right. CT is is uh, the um. The guy who wants to marry the, the guy who's replacing mm-hmm. him, and Avril is, gotcha. The mother. Um, so, like the, so the whole book isn't Hamlet, but like the incandescent no, no, stuff. No, no, is yeah, kinda... for sure, for sure, yeah. The um, that's like the yeah. Okay, and e, and ETA is kind of Elsinore Castle. Yeah, there's gotcha. Like, mm-hmm. The other thing I want to say, and we can keep going with through ETA, or we can move on to whatever. Is I love. The idea of Madame Psychosis, Madame Psychosis, just as that kind of entertainer, I love. And the whole, like, after she leaves and them just basically holding vigil on, like, an empty microphone for an hour. Yeah, I, I like how much how much WYYY is, like, WFMU. Like, I love, like, it's the kind of thing where, like, I think, you know, clearly radio still exists. Mm-hmm. Even though, like, serious and stuff is, like, automating a lot of things and whatever. But, like, college radio still exists. Like, weird experimental stuff still exists. But when I see, like... I don't, I didn't like it. I listened to a bunch. I didn't, I stopped, you know, after like a year or whatever, but like Welcome to Night Vale, that yeah, podcast yeah. Mm-hmm. feels like this kind of thing, like a weird, or like when I saw The Fog, like John Carpenter's The Fog, and there's like the lady on the, like there's something old timey and modern about just like radio as a form of entertainment and like a weird thing that people are wrapped by, but like doesn't matter to most people but the people who love it love like it just well it's it's also i mean i think it 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 taps direct directly back into this idea of an intimate connection that you can't respond to Mm -hmm. right madam psychosis speaks and and really touches a lot she's very uh touches mario and condensa a lot right Mm -hmm. so much so that mario can't sleep when she goes away but they don't have a relationship right right even though they secretly they secretly do he doesn't like he doesn't know that he knows her even though he does, but like, yeah, she's, she's in people's ears speaking directly to them mm-hmm. and is very comforting to people. She's being like an entertainment quote. Unquote. And it also feels so good for her that like the thing that distracts 
other people about her is removed. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So she, she's able to be herself in a way that she right. can't. She's originally a performer in himself's films um, where she is utilized uh, for her beauty and for her, um, you know, essentially being the prettiest girl of all time. Yeah. Uh, and now she has become a, a, an abstract, a, a, a bodiless voice that, mm-hmm. that exists for people to embrace um, at an intellectual level rather than an endocrinal level, if that's even a word. While we're on the topic, I want to talk about how and we talked about this the other night when we were eating dinner, uh, that the book makes Orin a punter. <laughs> yeah. The coolest fucking guy in the NFL. I mean, this is like in, in some ways, in some ways, I, I think this is a joke. Um it has to be. Unless unless it's that unless it's that Wallace just didn't know anything about actual football. But there's no way. It feels like <sighs> Yeah, he's but he's a punter that gets traded for a free safety and a first round pick, and it's just like that's that would never happen. <laughs> or that like people are like wrapped in attention when they're like when like there's like heads of state or heads of country at a game and they're like, I don't remember anything about the game except yeah. for those punts. And it's like what? I'm sure like if you went to college with Todd Sauerbrunn, that was probably how it was. You were probably just like, holy fuck, that guy, that punter. Like, let's, like, give him all the pussy, <laughs> you know? But it's also funny. I mean, like, I think part of me thinks that, like, Joelle would have had a relationship or, like, been open with anybody who's, like, brave enough to talk to her. Because it seems like no one's even. Yeah, yeah. She, she, she's not one drunk guy at a party or whatever, right? She, she has a relation. The only relationship that she's ever had in her life is with the one guy that's brave enough to talk to her. But she's like, I love this punter. It's like, come on. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> it, it's just, it's funny because, like, we were talking the other night, like, in a good offense on a good team, a punter may never take the field. Yeah, yeah. And there are like every year they're like, is this the year where people are gonna go for it and forth down no matter where? So like they are like they're trying to eradicate this vision where like position where Wallace is like, this guy is the greatest. And like women will throw themselves at him and they just like they know he's the punter. And it's like, Yeah, what are we doing here, guy? Um he's also I think Orin is also a villain in the novel. Are there? He, I mean, Gately's yeah, Gately, Gately is and Mario. Okay, Gately and Mario are the novel's two heroes. So, like the, oh my god, why can't I think of his name? Prayer for Owen Meany. Owen Meany yeah, is yeah. like Mario, kind of right. A little bit. Um, although he is much more. Right. They 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 both maintain a sort of um, purity, purity, sincerity. Uh, Mario doesn't. Like it, one of the most moving and beautiful things about Mario is that Mario never, never even occurs to him that someone might be lying to him. Right. Right. And, and like, that's naive in a way that's dangerous, mm-hmm. but it's also like beautiful in a way that is like, Admirable. like almost can exist in, 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 right. in, in this world. Yeah. Right. In, in a way that like, uh, you know, he's in, in like, he talks a lot about, um, religion. Like Mario is a believer, Right. And, and and he like talks about how like when other people talk about God in the book, including how like they get kind of ashamed, they they'll look away or they'll make a joke. But when they laugh at that joke, it's a mean kind of laugh. It's a laugh that doesn't um, have any actual mirth in it. It's a la- it's like a, a laugh of derision, as mm-hmm. though like it's laughing like who would be so silly as to believe in God? Um, and Mario sees whatever whatever that is. God, um, like he, he approached it in an honest way. Yeah. Looking at it as something that like, I guess has the potential for beauty. Yeah. Um, and he's, and, and, and that's why like he, he is a hero of the book because he 
is a character completely devoid of irony. He doesn't have to put up any defenses. He accepts things as they are and he accepts people as they are, right? Another, like, a fundamentally beautiful part of Mario is that at the end of the book, when you have that thing with Barry Loach talking about how he, like, his brother is going to drop out of the the clergy Mm -hmm. if he can't get someone on the street to touch him. Like, he's he's imitating a homeless man and every day he stands there asking people to touch him. Like, touch me, touch me. And nobody does. And nobody does for months. Nine months, I think, go by. And then Mario comes by and Mario immediately is high-fiving. Like all the, and, and he's like hugging them because he doesn't have that, that filter. And that, and that allows him to connect with all sorts of people, connect with people that would otherwise like not, uh, and what uh, I love that, like, is that, you know, he has described, he, you know, he has birth defects and he's deformed, but like people just treat him like a normal person. Like it seems like, well, people, yeah, people love him because, um, they feel unjudged. Mm-hmm. They feel like they can communicate with him because also they know that he's not because he lacks that cynicism. They know that he's not standing in judgment of them and he's accepting them as they are when yep. they speak to him. You know, he he's not interpreting. He's just he's taking their words in and right. and and, you know, again, in a way that is like could be really bad, could be really dangerous. Anything else we want to talk about with ETA? Um. Because like there's the tennis stuff, but it's mostly like that's where the incandenza stuff is. Yeah, well, right? ortho, right? Ortho is is um, nice. Yeah, the darkness is plateau hopping, right? Meaning he's getting better and better. Mm-hmm. Um, and he beats Hal, or comes very close to beating Hal. Who Hal is the number two behind John John Wayne. No relation. Um, and the only reason Stice doesn't is because he freezes. Basically, he's yeah. like, I'm about to beat him. I shouldn't. I'm not better than him. I. He, doubt fear yeah um and he has been suffering through different psychic events in his room his bed moving different things getting stacked and as as objects keep getting moved around around eta Mm -hmm. uh do you have a take on any of this no i mean okay i know that like eventually they switch rooms yeah but no i don't really have a take on it i mean i i read it initially as like people pranking him but i don't know if there's more to it than that well, I so so think of it as as uh, himself being a wraith and how he can yeah. like confront Gately, but like why would he be making himself known to Ortho, and why would he be trying to defeat Hal in tennis? Why would himself be trying to defeat Hal? Yeah, like if he's if he's because remember when 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 the darkness is playing Hal, like the ball is moving in unnatural ways, mm-hmm. right? And that's one of the reasons why he can beat Hal. Um, and like my assumption here is that Hal's dad is moving the ball. Is he doing it out of, like out of frustration, or why? Why do you think that he's fucking with Hal? Teaching him a lesson, maybe about do, what? Do, about not making tennis, the not making winning a game, the end of. Mm. I don't know. I mean, I think this is complicated and weird. I'm not 100 percent sure what the answer is. I'm sure that uh, someone write in. Someone write in with a with a theory on that. I do think like Please. what's what's cool about this. Is that it doesn't explicitly say like ghosts are real, but like ghosts kind of exist in this world, yeah. which is mm-hmm. strange. I mean, there's the gateway stuff at the end. There's all sorts of like specters, spirits. It's also like yeah, living I, presence, I, whatever. I think like also you you at the end you come to sort of accept that Lyle is a wraith himself. Lyle is only seen because he he's like sitting completely perfectly still in the locker room at all times. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's why he's there. But Lyle also enters the, the hospital room with 
with Jim and is there licking the sweat off of Gately's head. That's that guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking weird, man. There's so much in here. Like I was remembering today as I was like, you know, near the end of the book, I'm just like, what about that doctor who got murdered like 50 pages in? Uh, the very first person. Maybe, maybe the, he didn't get murdered. Was he, just, was he watching it from the chest? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, that, that he's, explains he, that. He's the, he's the first victim okay. of, the, of the cartridge in the book. Asked and answered. Yeah. Um, but I'm just yeah. like, that's weird that we never came back to him. But like, we come back to him in, in other ways, right? Because mm-hmm. like, they just, have to, yeah, his wife comes home and she sees the thing and then more people come in and then the the Jehovah's Witnesses come in because they saw the door was open and then eventually they have to cut the power to the entire building. It's like the ring. Yeah, kind of. Kind of. Um, anything else to talk about with ETA? Uh, I don't think so. We have to, I have to, sorry, uh, the, the, this is, we, we have a timeline here. This is like the only show of the year that we've ever had a timeline. For, I mean, we could also to, just do more later. I have to, I have to leave at 10. End in house. We gotta talk, we gotta talk about end in house. Um, yeah. What about it? Well, I think that there's, I guess there's the two side, like, I don't want to, I don't have a lot to talk about like end in house specifically, but I, I, I think that there's something interesting from an outsider's perspective, because I have not been to these kind of meetings but there's so much time spent in meetings which i think is interesting Mm -hmm. um i also think it's kind of weird and i was wondering if it was mean maybe where hal accidentally or not accidentally but he goes to the wrong meeting yeah and it's just because the inner inner child meeting right an old pamphlet that like is outdated but there's still a meeting at the same place whatever Mm. and i'm like it feels like voyeuristic in a way that like feels a little cruel but also is kind of funny but also is whatever but i i I liked the crocodiles like i like like he builds a world around and like even though i'm aware of this concept and these types of meetings from other forms of entertainment from books movies whatever uh i feel like you really get a sense of what it's like i think you also like maybe most crucially i think you get a sense of how aa works mm-hmm. like and how it not like not like how it functions but how like it helps keep people from using drugs and, and alcohol. i think what's really interesting and effective about that is that as opposed to other texts about aa yeah where it's like you you watch somebody go through the steps but the steps are almost not mentioned. Like they're mentioned right. toward the end. There's like, a th- you know, a guy like whatever, like there's like the 13th step, like, you know, whatever, like talking about like things you don't do, but it's not like, like most people just like, it's just, you're, you're in the meeting, like you're there and it does seem like it works. Yeah. I mean, and, and Gately uses it to, uh, okay. So, so one of the reasons why Gately is a hero in this book is because he resists at the end. He resists not only the, the use of drugs to help save him from, the the immense pain of being shot even though there's there's like a there's a real fear that he's not going to be able to say no yeah yeah until he grabs the pakistani guy's balls Mm -hmm. um and then and then also maybe that gately is able to resist the entertainment he's he's like the one person that can actually resist the entertainment which is you know sort of abstract i don't i don't know that it's written out specifically that he does witness the entertainment but there is like this idea that he watches it in the room because he has the he knows what Joel is saying in the thing, the apologizing over mm-hmm. and over again. It comes to him sort of as a dream, and you get the sense that maybe himself showed it to him or or steeply showed it to him in the in the thing. But he's able to resist because he has this this training. This the, he has the twelve steps, and he and he has right. this he has this moment of complete revelation when he has a tube stuck down his throat, and when he's talking to to. Uh, 
try he's like wants to communicate this thing with Francis, which is that um no single moment in itself is unendurable. Right. That you can get through one moment and moving through that moment can get you to the next moment. Powerful. And all that life is is a series of moments stacked mm-hmm. on top of each other. And so no pain is unendurable because no pain because pains also exist moment to moment. Right. And if you can get past like pain in one moment, yep. there's no reason why you can't continually get ca- right. past each moment of pain. Um, and this sort of unlocks something for him, un- unlocks something further in his sobriety for him that he'll like, that he can endure, that mm-hmm. this is something that he can do not only for the time being, but for the rest of his life. Right. These moments stacked on top of each other. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's something, and I think that's like the thing that makes him, uh, into a kind of hero in the book. And so maybe he is, again, we don't know, maybe he's digging up the cartridge to destroy it once and for all. So, because he knows that, you know, you don't need that or and like, you know, maybe he has altruistic, who knows? I don't know. Yeah. Or John Wayne is one of the AFR and John Wayne is, has them there, like is forcing them to dig it up. That's Should we talk of... about the AFR and Marif? Sure. Yeah. Go. And steeply too weird it's weird i don't know like it feels uh transphobic maybe yeah um i i think that that's something that is something also worth talking about with this it's, book is that the book the book treats the idea cuz it does it with um portoni too right uh it treats this idea of a man identifying or i mean steeply is not is not trans but steeply is cross dressing right and right. it is treating the idea of like a man wearing women's clothes as fucking hilarious right like as the funniest thing that could possibly happen and and it's like you know this immense joke cuz there's there's parts of this again not to go back to like what people think of this book or whatever yeah, but yeah. there are things where I think you're able to write off uses of the N word of which there are many. And there are like, if there's certain characters where yeah. just like, that's how this character right, using, thinks. using like oriental constantly. Right. As, but uh, then there uh, are like, especially toward the end as Gately is like getting high and higher and higher and higher, whatever. And he's like, there's like the trans people in the room. Like, it's just like everything he's describing. It's like, this feels kind of more like an overarching theme or sort of like a, a yeah, I, I an think author's yeah. intent as opposed to the character. Wallace is not kind to, to, to to the trans characters yeah. in the book. Now the trans characters in the book are also drug addicts who are going through pretty severe withdrawal during during most parts. Mm-hmm. Of it. Um, at the end, it's those same trans characters. I mean, still poor Tony at the end in that room. But he is also like, you know, I don't know. Gately's not being kind. Um, I mean, he's also high out of his mind, but it's still. And he's been raised. He's he's been raised in a way where he's like, you know, the only word he has for black people is the N word, mm-hmm. right? So it's like he's not gonna. Like he's not, he's not, he, he's, th- there's a difference between that Gately and the empathetic Gately or, or not in words, but in, in like action. I mean, it's still, you know, you still, whatever. I, th- I just think it's hard. It's, you know, it would not be a fun book to read as a trans person reading that and just being like, no, come on. And I think it's like, or as a black person, it's just, there's stuff that were just, I don't know. It's tough. It's tough. It just yeah. like, I wasn't offended by it. I'm just like this. It's, it's, it's mm-hmm. whatever. But I feel like the Moraith and Steeply stuff, like you're thrown in relatively early and they're talking about things where it's like, I don't even know where to begin understanding what they're talking about. Well, they have um, a conversation that lasts hundreds and hundreds of pages where they're standing on a mountain for like 24 hours. Yeah. Having this very long conversation about the entertainment. Mm-hmm. 
It's mostly expository, and it's mostly talking about the differences between America and Canada and the idea of discipline and how Americans don't have any discipline because Americans will choose the entertainment every time. Even though they talk about the Canadian people who, like, were testing it, right, and all the Canadians, like, lined up around the corner. Was that those Canadians, right, who, like— Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the with the pleasure. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Which is the thing that I sent you. Yeah, they have this really long conversation about the differences between America and Canada— because um, the book is in some ways about American addiction, right? The specifically American addiction entertainment, um, which probably is more global all the time, I'd say. Mm, yeah. But yeah, I think that's that's what that's about. And then it's like, you know, th- there is this idea that Gately is, not Gately, uh, Steeply is like he has to dress up differently for each thing mm-hmm. and that he is like he enjoys the humiliation of dressing up because previous to his dressing up like a woman, he had to dress up like a Rasta or something like that. Right. And it's like, yeah, it's this idea that like identity is like he's, he has to learn to do all these embarrassing things. Cause I think that there's something like on a broader level, not about like what those characters represent, but it's building into this global, like the stuff with Gentile and Tyne and the sort of, I think it's just gentle, Johnny gentle, just gentle. Yeah. There was a lot, I'm not looking at that, but there was a line where just like he was the first president to ever like swing a microphone around. Yeah. I'm just like, that rules. That's good. First president to ever use boss as a verb. Super cool. <laughs> um, as a verb, adjective. Adjective, yeah, sorry. Come on. Uh, but no, I think that there's something that like, again, it does. you don't need to know it, but I liked seeing the sort of the onion unfold of like, how did we get to here? Because like when you, when before I started reading, you were describing like, it's out of order. There's sub. There's a thing called subsidized time. You're not going to know like when things happen. And I'm just like, the year of the depend adult undergarment. Like, how do we even get to this point? And it's like, well, we kind of learn. Yeah. No. Explain. I think it does a good job of explaining. And it's just it's just like there's this world building mm-hmm. that is again like I was saying before, so far removed from the action of the narrative, but also like informs a lot of things the way that people think about things. That certainly informs like a lot of this novel is weirdly about Quebec separatism. Which I know nothing about. Yeah, which is like... But is that why how they speak French there as opposed to anywhere yeah, else in Canada? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And like people in Quebec have been trying to... For, I, I don't know what it, what it's like there now, but for a while it was very serious. People in Quebec were trying to like be their own country. There was a very weird... I'm going to bleep the name out for his safety, but like when we started reading this book, when I started reading, you were rereading, we saw our friend do a Quebec accent on stage and was like... <laughs> So like for like a like a hundred pages, like whenever I was just like thinking of that, I was just like, oh yeah, yeah. boy, weird. Just like nothing to do anything, but just like I don't think about Quebec. And then like I hear that and it's all like here and just like, what is going on in this world? Yeah, and it's like, you know, it's heightened. And it's kind of like the joke, because like we don't think of Quebec as like the joke is that Canadians are so nice and we don't think of Quebec as like terrorists. Mm-hmm. Right. And and like it's the, you know, it's playing on all sorts of like stereotypes. And and the scariest people are the people in wheelchairs. Right. It's playing on all of these things that is like, you don't, you know, things that you wouldn't think it's, it's, it's ironic in that sense. So they are following Orin. Yeah. And oh, they, also, also they they pretend they, they claim that they're, um, Swiss to Orin and to other people. They like when, when Marath is trying to get into Ennett house, he, he says, I'm Swiss. And it's like, you would think that people would recognize a Quebecois accent, but because Americans are so self, like, you can just say dumb, so self-involved. Yeah. Um, not interested but in But also, to a certain extent, if somebody 
says I'm Swiss, you'd be like, you don't sound like, are you going to, you going to call him out on yeah, it? Like, it just, I, I don't know. I would know. I, I mean, I would, I, I, you know, you recognize what an accent is, but like, I, I don't know that you would necessarily call them out on it, but it's funny that but you would like, make a note of it. Yeah. It's funny that everyone's, they're just like, oh, we're Swiss, even though they're Quebec, like Oren's mother is Canadian, Canadian. And he like, doesn't, he, he can't recognize this as a Quebecois accent. I also feel like Oren is going through some shit in this novel. I mean, everybody is. But yeah, it just feels I mean, like- Oren is using um, sex in the way that other people use drugs or mm-hmm. fame, entertainment. Right? He's he's trying to. Although he is described as like the world's best lover. But no, not no. But he's he's doing to them what the moms is doing right, to him, smothering them with love. Right, and he's not like he never orgasms mm-hmm. because he wants like he wants to like uh, be the best ever. For all of them, but his wanting to be the best ever is actually evil in its own certain way right. because it like he wants them to want to come back and want to come back, mm-hmm. and then he eventually can just reject them because he doesn't actually want a relationship, right? Right, and especially especially because Hal says he he's like specifically interested in women that have small children, which is weird, yeah. But you know, whatever, yeah. Um, I I feel like because I, I know that she scrambled to read the book. I want to read Egg's email and see okay. if that also inspires other conversation that we could have. Meg's reaction. If you want to email in like before, what was the thing you put out a call for? Why did what you asked people to write in theory about something? Doesn't matter. I'll make a note of it in the description. Yeah. Read the description. Lottery at cageclub.me. Meg's reaction to infinite jest. Also, once again, shout out Meg. Got married. Shout out to the egg. This is probably the closest I've come to not finishing a book for the pod. Unfortunately, given how long the book is, I don't have time to review my notes in any meaningful way. This is the second time I've read this book, and it was also due to Shred's request. Yep. The last time I read was eight years ago. I Holy propose shit. that you do another episode of Infinite Jest in eight years, but as a two-parter. The first is another pure Jest app, and the second will be a review of your first episode about the book. Interesting. I mean, if Megan Boyle can do live blog every 10 years, yeah. we can read Jest every eight years. I'm going to read it twice this year. One of the things I'm most interested in about this book is the role of author versus editor. There's not really an answer, but I feel like as I read the book, I was constantly wondering who the person was speaking, shout out Egg, on the same page, and if the person writing the footnotes was the same person writing the novel. See, we got the weird, like, don't focus on that. Other things are more important. (laughs) Same kind of brain. And if there was more than one author per perspective. This is outside the plagiarism conversation, which I'm already assuming has already happened. I don't have time to contribute, but I want to acknowledge it. What's the plagiarism conversation? Um, so, you know... Um, oh, I think you told me about this, but I don't remember. Yeah, you're familiar with uh, uh, Thomas Harris and Red Dragon and Silence yeah. of the Lambs? Yes. Okay. So here is uh, from Red Dragon. The gun was a Bulldog 44 special, short and ugly with its startling big bore. It had been <laughs> extensively modified by Magnaport. The barrel was vented near the muzzle to help keep the muzzle down on recoil. The hammer was bobbed and it had a good set of fat grips. He suspected it was throated for a speed loader. That's from Red Dragon, page 137. This is from Infinite Jest. The item, some customized version of a US 44 Bulldog special, blunt and ugly with a bore like the mouth of a cave. The piece has been modified, Gately can appraise. The barrel's been vented out near the muzzle to cut your Bulldog's infamous recoil. The hammer's bobbed and the thing's got a fat magnaport or clone grip like the Metro finest favor. It's not a semi-auto, but it's throated for a fucking speed loader. That just tells me it's the same universe, baby, and Gately <laughs> is Hannibal Lecter. Uh, but I'm sure that there's a lot of are there, is there more than one instance or is it just that well well no there's also so this is um, the Bruce Green stuff 
we don't have enough time to go through all this, but there's there's more than one. There's more than there's like, more than one, but that's that's the most that's the most uh, egregious. Not great. Yeah, not great. Part of the reason I believe there to be more than one person, quote unquote, writing is this passage, quote, he'd admit it's like a dark vestige of his old, low self-esteem, suicidal thrill behaviors. He doesn't have a license. It's not his car. It's a priceless art object car. It's his boss's car who he owes his life to and sort of maybe loves. He's on a vegetable run for shattered husks of newcomers just out of detox whose eyes are rolling around in their heads. Has anybody mentioned Gately's head is square? It's almost perfectly square. Massive and boxy and mysticiously sick. Blunt. The head of somebody who looks like he likes to lower his head and charge. Meg says, in the middle of the paragraph, there's a question posed to possibly someone other than the reader. Specifically, it says anybody rather than I, which feels like it can indicate multiple inner narrators. Yeah, I mean, I think there are, I think there are uh, probably a dozen narrators. You have first person from... James's father, you have first person from Hal, you have first person from the whoever's narrating the Wardian section. Uh, you have Pemulus narrating the footnote directly. You have, um, yeah, there, there's all sorts of different narrators. And, and there's the abstract us at the at the end that I already mentioned. Um, yeah, you have all, all of these different voices are, are contributing to like uh, this like very broad, wide experience. I don't I don't think that there's a necessary... I don't think necessarily that there's an answer other than that. Yes, you have a ton of different narrators in, in, in here. It also probably like, I think what I've talked about with like Curtis white and stuff, where it's just like, it allows you the ability to write in different ways and just like, yeah, that's definitely getting what he's bored, doing. Probably, that's, right? Yeah. That's what he's doing. I think a lot about this is egg again about the role of editor in general. I did my master's thesis on Emily Dickinson Bragg. I graduated after I read the book, this book the first time. And I feel like I got more out of this read having that background. Long story short, Taylor Swift reference. My thesis was essentially that there is a layer of meaning that gets lost when you read Emily Dickinson's poetry through printed text rather than her handwritten work. In addition, Emily Dickinson's poetry was published after she died. And the person who worked to get her poetry published, did so with a heavy editorial hand, adding periods and commas, removing dashes, and completely getting rid of some complete stances. I digress. Avril, as editor, also highlights how she is abusive in a way that seems, at first glance, nice and normal. Also, Emily Dickinson related, I felt like some of the capitalized words that were used in the Gately sections, identify, out there, etc., we're doing the same literary quote unquote work as when Emily Dickinson uses capitalizations in her poetry. I'm czar. I'm quote woman now woman capitalized and czar capitalized. My argument being that capitalization is used as a kind of synecdoche to capture a boatload of meaning into a single word. I also think that there's probably just like, I think that's maybe like an AA thing. Like it just, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm going to have to, I, yeah, I got to parse the uh, use of synecdoche and what she means by that, but keep going. One of the scenes that broke my heart was when Pemulus was trying to tell Hal privately he got expelled. And it was interesting because that whole scene yeah. took place in an end note. So if you, for whatever reason, didn't read the end notes like we talked about before, you didn't get that gut punch. Yeah, he says, he says like, no kidding, Hal, we really have to interface here. And Hal, Hal's hurt because Pemulus has like avoided him for the last couple of days because he was trying to figure out those that stuff on on his on his own um i will say also you in 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 a footnote is i, I remember i said that pamulus i thought of as a villain in the text the reason why pamulus is the villain in the text is because he is one of the few people that 
tries to get Hal to not quit drugs, right? And he says, you can't do it. If you need something and you stop doing it, something and you will die and you'll become a psychic husk out there. And like you, like don't quit. You don't, you can quit the, this if you want. I'm not telling whatever, but I'm saying you need drugs. He's, he's like the anti AA. He's doing as much psychic damage as he possibly can on the way in and out. But I do, I, I think that that's incredibly sad because Pemulus is also, uh, he's a loyal friend and he's trying to help Hal and he's trying to. There is some like kind of positive things that the don't quit, like things are going well. It's, it's, t- I don't know. Yeah, no, it's hard. It's very, yeah. I did not listen to the audiobook for this one, Egg says. I didn't know that there was an audiobook. Yeah, there is, but it doesn't have the fucking footnotes in it. Ooh. I'm glad Stupid. I didn't because there's definitely a visual quality that gets missed or would be different when you read aloud, such as the capitalization that I mentioned above, but the little things like the use of PM when talking about the afternoon. I don't know about you two, but I didn't read that in my head as PM. I don't even know if I read that as a word at all, so much as just understood it. Mm-hmm. No, beautiful. I, I'm, I'm feeling you 100% on that. And that to completely change tax, I think there's a lyrical quality to some of the work that gets missed if you don't read it aloud. I don't think I made the Kennedy Ken Erdity, matteredly, Connection the last time that feels so obvious now. Comprise is used correctly more than once in this book, something that is very rare. I see that word used a lot while copy editing. This doesn't seem to be at the book. I mean, it's about the book, but it's just like <laughs> this guy knows his punctuation. Uh, no, yeah. Wallace is, I mean, Wallace is yeah. like a grammar guy. I see that word used a lot. Well, that's also which is like toward the end of the book. I'm just like, you're misspelling shit, but like that's clearly by design. Yeah, right. Especially in, in the. Randy Lenz section. When he talks about how there was the guy, I don't remember his name, but the guy that the only real actor that James used in his things, Wolcott maybe or something. Not, it's something like that. uh, uh, Yeah. um, The guy that does the, yeah. But he's like, it's like uh, how De Niro was for Scorsese and McLaughlin for Lynch. I'm like, these are cool people. Like, but he spells McLaughlin wrong. I'm just like, but like, it's maybe by design or maybe it's not. I don't know, but I'm just like, I'm pretty sure it is. Probably. Anyway, although I will say uh, uh, notoriously, a lot of the math in this book is fucking wrong, which is like funny. And and he didn't he didn't fuck up the math on purpose. Like he responded to letters telling him that the math was fucked up with a my bad. I see that word used a lot while copy editing about comprise. It's not something to use interchangeably with compose. But I also think I think I also think it's one of those words where the definition will change because so many people use it incorrectly like factoid. I'm leaving a list of things I don't have time to discuss that I think you probably mentioned. Gately as Christ figure. Kind of covered that. Okay, yeah. Cartridge reminded me of Snow Crash. Okay. Okay. I'm positing that drugs make you immune to the cartridge. I think there's a conversation between Steeply and Moraith where they say that it's normal people getting addicted, but I don't have time to search for it. Accents are so, all capital letters, spot on. It's something I didn't (laughs) notice before I lived here. Well, that's there funny. are there are things where they describe him just like yeah, that's Boston. That's Boston. I mean, I talked to Meg about about Boston a lot, and she was like, "It is very like this book is so like nails the Boston geography mm-hmm. and all of the like Good. like down to like real." Stores. Did he live there or no? Like, yeah, yeah, he went to Amherst. All right, okay. All in all, Meg wraps up. I'm glad Shreds made me read this book eight years ago, and also this year, and I look forward to reading it again in 2031. <laughs> God, um, yeah, we should talk about Randy Lenz a little bit, which is another another. Um, Thomas Harris. Um, oh, really? Ripoff, which is that um, there's just, not a rip, but there's a character the same way that there's a character that speaks into his fist mm-hmm. in Endzone, like Trollsh does. There's a character in, in uh, Red Dragon that um, you can tell he's a knife owner because he shaves the 
He's got a bald patch on his arm from from like testing the sharpness of his oh. knife, which you know from from Randy Lenz. Randy Lenz also um, is a user of Madame Psychosis, is a user of DMZ, and that's why he's as weird as he is with the North always having to be in the northernmost section of the car. Always going north. Always going north. Um, There's some stuff like that. I mean, this book gets dark in a lot of ways, but him killing cats and dogs, I'm just like, this is some fucked up. Like, yeah, it's yeah. like, like that's also the point, like in American Psycho, which is about a guy murdering people where like he kills that dog. You're like too far. Yeah. Right. And so you have that with lens. And um, then you also have, for example, Jeffrey, uh, when struck is plagiarizing, when you get most of the info dump about the AFR, it's, Jim Struck, who's an ETA student, plagiarizing Jeffrey Day, who is an Enf, uh, uh, an Ennett House resident. Mm. Um, and that happens right after Jeffrey Day is in Ennett House and Marath is in Ennett House pretending to be Swiss. And you get the sense that like Jeffrey Day recognizes Marath as an as a uh, AFR guy. Gotcha. So there's like there, there are so many like there's such a lattice of of things going on here. But I also want to say I think that what happens with Hal is that I think he's dosed with uh, DMZ, and that's why he's so like closed off internally. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll call Matt. See if he answers. Uh, okay. If not, we have ten minutes left. Yeah. Can you hear this? You are on the air with How to Win the Lottery, a book club podcast. How are you, Mr. Honorable Judge Matt Erdely? Oh, I'm doing just fine. How are you guys? Good. We are on a little bit of a time crunch because Shreds has to get home, but we have, we sent you four Ooh. covers. Shreds, Wait, don't worry. Yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I mean, you, you, I, you'll, I have to, you'll get there eventually. I have to remain anonymous for various reasons, so we decided on the... There's a whole, there's yeah. a whole narrative. It's a whole lore. Uh, don't worry about it. I will believe this it some David Foster Wallace thing. No, no it's no. been going on for like a year. No, it's it's good. You'll get to it if you listen to the podcast. Anyway, we sent you four covers. <laughs> oh, I have to listen. To this I will tell I'll tell you in person. Then don't worry about it. We'll just text you. About it. It's fine. But we sent you because I sent you a book cover and then my co-host was like, oh, I didn't think you're gonna send that one. So we, we wound up sending you four different book covers and I think you said for something that is, what was the, you described it in a way like for something that's overstuffed, we might as well do all four covers. All I know about this book is that it's really long. Have you, so have you ever tried that? starting it or no? I have. Yeah. I think I, I got like 20 pages in and then just got distracted or something, moved on. So. That's how I read most books. That's pretty good. I mean, you, you, you said today that you read one page of one book and that was pretty good. <laughs> Like just preserve the mystery. What but what oh, book was that? Author fuck it all up. What what book was, what book did you read one page of? Uh it it, it was actually a graphic novel about uh <laughs> <laughs> so I might want to count it in panels. I read what? six panels. Was it was it a was it like a, a Calvin and Hobbes? Was it <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, I can I can churn through Calvin and Hobbes. He read one Garfield. Was it one of those? Was it one of those new Nancy comic strips? I read. I read three speech bubbles. <laughs> nah. Anyway, we sent you four different covers. 
We sent the yeah. original one. We sent the original hardback, the original paperback, the new one with the clouds, and then a fan cover. Yeah, the, which is the newest edition. Um, oh, that's like an official cover yeah, yeah. that they put on. Mm-hmm. Is there one of the four knowing maybe – do you know at all – Like, I know you read the 20 pages, but do you know like what this book is about? No, 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 no idea. What do you think the book is about based on the covers? Because there's three clouds and then one with like an eye on a TV. Yeah, that eye in the TV really throws me off. I don't know. It's hard to separate the idea that this is like this mammoth uh, achievement and a huge long book with what I'm looking at and the title. Because, you know, Infinite Sky just seems vast and... Well, do you know? Uh, do you know what unwieldy. Infinite Jest is from? Do you know that Infinite Jest is from is from Hamlet? Um, alas, poor Yorick. I I knew him. He was a man of Infinite Jest. He was a man of Infinite Jest. No. Alas, poor Yorick. I knew him, Horatio. He was a man of Infinite Jest. Okay, so that's that's like part of it. That it's it's a reference. It's a direct reference to Hamlet, which which the the book um, sort of maps some of its plot on. I can literally hear crickets. I love it. It's so it's so nice. <laughs> this, this is the first. This is the the segment that I'm gonna just seem the dumbest. I, I can literally like like it's it's not it's it's not even crickets. It's the it's the turning of of a wheel and there's like a mouse running in your head. But no, you know what it is. It's like it, it it's imagine the background of these uh, these covers and it's just the sound of like wind gently blowing. Well, what, what I, I mean the 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 point of this segment is for you as a graphic designer to judge the book by its cover. Not You're not supposed to know the book. Well, I'll tell you what's throwing, what, what's interesting is that, like you said, all three of the four have blue sky and clouds, which like, you know, what's more generic than that? That's, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a desktop background. And all three of these designers are choosing to use that as the, the only image on the thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a real now, Windows now, 95. Yeah. I mean, so the first option has a very 90s type treatment, but the all lowercase and the sans serif and the multiple colors. And it, it looks very, it looks very 90s. That's got to be by design though, right? Because like the book is about so much and also like you can't just put like, I mean, you can put a tennis racket on the cover, but like, do you know why they chose clouds or no? No. Well, it seems to... I, yeah, go ahead. I have no idea. Like I said, I ju- it just it feels uh, like endlessly vast. Okay. And, and again, that's probably just my take on it because I know that the book is also vast. Well, also, I think Joey, what did you say? What did you say? It ruined the it ruined rest my last six weeks. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I also think, like, if you're in a bookstore and you see the cover, you also see that the book is a thousand pages long. Like, it's not like exactly it's, right. Right. It, it's as it's like as thick as it is wide. There is something. Like th- there's also something like uh, about like serenity, right? Looking at the like a, a blue sky with clouds floating through it. I guess, but that's cut by the word jest. It's like you know, coax you into feeling seren- feeling that serenity, but you're you're a fool for doing that. Would it Would it change your opinion at all if ori- the original title was um, "Infinite Jest: A Failed Entertainment"? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you know, I, I you see the word jest, and it, it feels like this guy knows something. You're going to learn something about, I don't know, life here. If you didn't know the cloud stuff and you just saw the TV with the eye, would you like it more or less? 
No, I don't really like that cover. It does. It looks oh. a little bit like Keith Haring, right? Like, or or at least like a, a an approximation of a Keith Haring thing. Yeah, kind of. It looks very soft. I, I'm not. I'm not intrigued by that cover at all. This is what happens when you get fans to design the covers. Yeah, I mean, it's just like a yeah. It doesn't do do much. It's a little icon. It kind of reminds me of the Eats, Shoots, and Leaves cover. It's the same type treatment as that. What is that? It's a grammar book, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe because I just saw it on my bookshelf, and that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. But yeah, you know, just going through these real quick. I, I, I mean, my favorite is the one with the yellow type. You know, you've got the perspective on the type. It just it's, it leans into the massive quality of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That's you the know, third. It feels very feels very cinematic. Feels like which which is thematic as well. I had a real existential crisis at the used bookstore where I bought this because they had that one and they had the one that I bought, which is the one the original cover that I sent you. And I was just like, I don't know which one to buy. Yeah. And I wound up getting the earlier one, but like I think the newer, I think the one that you like, Matt, is the probably the the most well known. That's the one that I read the first three words of. Yeah. Sweet. Oh, you went from twenty pages to three words. <laughs> I read the cover. Infinite Jest, David, and you stopped. <laughs> yeah. And then is that last one the soft cover? Where his name is all huge? Yeah, I I think that yeah, it, it's in, there's an interesting thing with books, which is like um you'll see with like Stephen King and James Patterson, and like as an author gets more famous, right, like their name gets bigger and the title of the book gets smaller. As like right. the personality, uh, like overtakes the work itself. Like we also talked about this earlier that like he is so well known in certain circles, and then outside of that, he's not. Like it's this weird where like this is an accomplishment, a feat to people who know this, but so much of like so many people I talked to in the last like while I've been reading this book don't know, have no idea what this book is. Like it just. It's, so like, you, I mean, is, is this like a cult? Like, would you call it like a cult classic? Yeah. I'd say it's a cult classic. It has a reputation more so than most other books that we've covered. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I can't think of any other book that like has a connotation of like it's an achievement to read this book, right? Mm -hmm. And and then also it's like now, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but it's like now this book is associated with this sort of toxic kind of dude that like sort of bullies women into like – uh, yeah, he's gross on and off the field, basically. Yeah, guys trying to like uh, just be like, "Hey, read this book, read this book. It'll make you smarter," et cetera. Et cetera. Oh God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So has that sullied your reading of it? I no, I don't give a fuck about that stuff. It's like, like you can't, you can't, like the artist can't control how the audience reacts to things and how people, you know. There's so much good art that is like has a shitty audience, you know. Like, uh, like the Joker, the band Tool, <laughs> right? Tool has a terrible audience, but they they put out that classic album, Fear Inoculum. <laughs> Does anybody take Tool in our thing? Or is it more yeah. of a Pussifer guy myself? Oh yeah, yeah, me too. I love Pussifer. Matt, do you have any final thoughts? Sorry to chase you, but we got my co-host again, unnamed, has to leave. Do you have any final thoughts on Emmys four covers or the book in total? No, not really. But congratulations on reading it. Thanks. Yeah. Our next book, if you're around next weekend, probably is going to be one that you might have read. And um, there's a is it endurance? Books. The tale of the tale of Ernest Shackleton's failed expedition to the South Pole. You know what? I'll read that if you'll if you'll come on. 
We'll do it. We'll do an entire bonus episode. Does that of take just place that. in a state? No, um, like no. The the Arctic, ocean? Yeah. <laughs> so um, when, we ocean country, Antarctica? when we get to the countries, cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, are you, if you do, yeah, if you do a continent, uh, series then yeah that, that should be your antarctic entry. i, I I'll, I'll i'll do that book if you'll come on to talk about it oh hell yeah i'll talk about it it's got pictures in it <laughs> right. as long yeah as long as it's not a uh, one of those picture books that you you run away from after three or four panels <laughs> yeah no sign me up i'm down for that one all right cool well thank you matt all right you're oh, wait, also to, uh, also matt i'm sorry that i said equally <laughs> as funny as you today <laughs> Well, are you going to listen to prefab on the drive home? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Sweet. Call it water under the bridge then. All right. Cool. Have a good night. Bye. Later, guys. Later. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything else you want to say about? Infinite I feel like Jest? there's a lot more to talk about with this book. But Should we do another episode? Nah, I don't think so. I think we got to keep moving. Is there anything that you would like on your way home be bummed that we didn't talk about? Because I feel like there's if, other things. I'll tell you what. If I do, I'll make a voice note of it and cool. send it to you, and you can tack it on the end. I am thrilled to be done with this. I'm I'm excited to reread it. I'm excited to also read for this show much easier books. Yeah. Oh, can I tell, can I tell like a very short story that has nothing to do with the book? I got no, I got nothing um, the time. Yeah. Uh, so my name, na- I have a neighbor that has, um, bicycles. Like he always has, like, there's just like increasing bu- number of bicycles on his lawn Okay. all the time. Okay. Like, like I've watched it over the years, over summer, like he sits out on his front lawn all day, just like with these multiple bike, like bicycles increasing exponentially. It feels insane. It feels illegal. It feels all of these things. Um, so today's crime is thieving bicycles. Sweet. Betting Taylor Swift every night inside the Oculus Rift. After Mister and the Misses finished dinner and the dishes. So much higher.